morning, and it's great to be worshiping with you, and it's certainly a privilege to be able to uh, turn with you to God's Word. Uh, and in recent weeks, we've been at a, in a series in which we're looking at individuals encountering the Lord Jesus Christ during His time on earth, during His earthly ministry, where He met people that were often in desperate need, in need in a way that only He could meet their need. And and we've seen some remarkable stories as we've been looking at these encounters. And this morning we're going to be looking at a, a, another encounter with the Lord Jesus, but this is a little different because the focus is more um, on, on the response that, uh, that happens in the instance of someone encountering the Lord Jesus and, and his miraculous work. So uh, this morning I'm going to read uh, from John's Gospel in chapter 12. And I'll just read a short passage from there. You'll, you'll uh, find the, the scripture reading in your worship guide this morning. Uh, this is John chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for these extraordinary stories. We we thank you for this person who so captivated other people, transformed their lives, gave them a, a completely different value system. Lord God, we, we want so much to see the real, authentic Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, would you please come now and be our teacher? Would you come and reveal Jesus to us that we might come to know him more clearly, love him more fervently? We want to be shocked by the wonder of who he is. And so please come and do that work in our hearts, in our minds. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a story that is recorded elsewhere uh, in the Gospels. And in Mark's account, Jesus says this, that wherever the Gospel is proclaimed, this story will be told. That's a remarkable thing to say. I mean, many things Jesus, Jesus did. He walked on water. Uh, he fed thousands. He healed the sick. He did many, many extraordinary things. But this story, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, I want people to hear about this. I want them to discover something of this extraordinary event. And it's also quite evident that Ju Judas Iscariot hated what happened. In fact, again, if you compare with what's recorded in Mark's gospel, it's, it says that from this very moment, it was from this very moment that Jesus went 
straight to the chief priests and began to betray Jesus. So something about this act of worship thrilled Jesus, absolutely thrilled him. I want this to be spoken about all over the world. Judas hated it. And so I'd say it's a pretty important event. It's something that, that happened of provocative impact. And so I think it's worth our time taking a little bit closer look uh, at it. And, and first of all, to ask the question, what was it that provoked her to take this action? Well, I believe the secret is kind of hidden in the text here. It says that Lazarus was present. Now, Lazarus was the brother of Mary. He was the brother of these two sisters, and theirs was a home that Jesus often went. He, 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 it's quite apparent that Bethany, which was not far from Jerusalem, just a couple of miles outside, that, that it was a place that, that Jesus kind of, of withdrew to. It was a place where he felt at home, a place where he could get away from the hassle of the city of Jerusalem, where he could withdraw. And it says in the scriptures plainly that he loved these people. He loved these two sisters he loved Lazarus. He, he loved finding a place of refuge and joy and fellowship with them. And the story tells us that Lazarus was one day terribly ill. And that these two sisters lived through watching their, uh, their brother become more and more seriously ill. He was not only ill, it's serious. And not only is it serious, but it, it looks as though it could be fatal. Of course, the wonderful thing is, Jesus is their friend. But of course, Jesus is not there, and I'm sure many times they, they thought, if only Jesus was here. Because, well, we've seen him heal the sick. Uh, we've seen him cleanse lepers. We've seen him open blind eyes. And look, here's Lazarus, who, whom he loves so much. And look at how fast he's declining. Look at how dangerous this is. If only Jesus was here. And so they send someone. They say, can you go and try and find Jesus? And someone goes searching for Jesus. And then the message comes back. It's okay. I got to Jesus. I told him about it. Oh, that must have been wonderful. Jesus knows. The messenger says to him, he whom you love is sick. And so the message is out there, right? It's okay. He knows. And then they wait. And he goes further downhill. And they wait longer. And he goes further downhill. And Lazarus dies. The tragedy of a friend of Jesus dying and the absolute agony of it and knowing the strange mystery that Jesus knows but he didn't come. And really the agony they would have gone through, it, it didn't help them that they had seen Jesus do remarkable things. He'd, he'd, he'd been to their home often. They would have heard his breathtaking teaching, wonderful insights, wisdom, amazing teaching. They would have seen him heal the sick. They would have seen him do extraordinary things. But tragically, in the end, death wins. So, so Jesus may be introducing a, a wonderful new kingdom and beautiful, the, there's all these beautiful things that he's teaching and people getting healed, but in the end, death wins. And our dear brother dies. In the end, 
your life is vulnerable to the biggest crisis that you could possibly face, that you lose someone you love. Dear ones die. And, and, and so, okay, it's lovely. It's lovely meeting Jesus. And, never, and life's never been quite like it is to have Jesus around. But hey, let's face it, death wins in the end. And that's the tragedy of it. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can have your life enriched, but in the end, you're still going to die. And so they, they lived through that. Death had invaded their experience of knowing Jesus. And here we have the first story of anyone close to Jesus dying. And that's the end of the story, so forget it. And then, of course, Jesus does turn up. And an extraordinary thing that happens is that you find both Mary and Martha go out to him. And you find, you find all of this in the previous chapter where the whole story is detailed. And, and one after the other, they say to him, if only you'd been here. They say almost the identical words, if you had been here. If only Jesus had been here. And then after speaking to them, you have the story of Jesus going out to the place where the body had been laid for four days. I mean, they've lived through a day without their brother. A, a, a night. Maybe they didn't sleep that night. And another day without their brother. Another night of agony and remorse and emptiness. The sense of, I'll never hear his laughter again. I'll never feel his touch again. I'll never see his eyes again. Four days of it. Jesus comes after four days. And after speaking to them, he then goes out and he, he, and he says, now roll away the stone from the entrance to where he was buried. And they say, don't be stupid. I, I mean, he will stink. We're talking about a corpse in the Middle East, heat for days. Come on. And he says, no, no, roll away the stone. And then, and then Jesus shouts out, Lazarus, come out. I mean, it must have been breathtaking. It must have been phenomenal to, to see this corpse get up and walk out. I mean, a guy had been dead for days and he walks out. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So Jesus, with authority, spoke right into death and called this guy out from death. That's what happened. And now here, they're having this meal together because they're celebrating, my brother's alive again. Death doesn't win. Death really doesn't win. He's alive. He's back. He's with us. And it's interesting that the Lord Jesus, that, that when he did a remarkable miracle, he very often associated that miracle with um, a revelation about who he was. And we talked about this briefly last week. And so he, and so he heals a, bl a blind man from birth. He heals him. He gives him his sight. And then he proclaims, I am the light of the world. And then he feeds 5,000 uh, people from just a, 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 just a loaf or two and a few fish. And, and he declares, I am the bread of li life. He often identifies by a miracle, um, by some miracle that he does. Someone who, had never, who, who, could, who couldn't see, now he can see. And, and he says, listen. I am the light of the world. I didn't just make you see. I came to help everyone see. I'm the world's light. I am the true vine. Israel 
was called God's vine. God says in the Old Testament, he, he took this vine out of Egypt and he cleared the land and he planted it and he said, be fruitful. And Jesus comes and says, look, I am the true vine. I'm the one that you really need to get plugged into. Abide in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit. Jesus comes to fulfill these things. And now, having raised this one from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. In other words, I'm the answer to death itself. Not just the answer to blindness, which is incredible. Not just the, the answer to being hungry, which is amazing. But I'm actually the answer to life and death. I have conquered death. I've beaten your biggest enemy. I can overcome death again and again and again. And of course, this is his greatest miracle. And it's the one that led ultimately to Jesus being crucified because they, that is his opponents, they said this, look, everyone's going after him. You see, when he raised Lazarus, that was breathtaking. Everybody around knew about his being dead, and people gathered to weep and cry together, and, and now he's alive again, and the testimony of his enemies is they're all going after him. Notice their, their arrogance. They don't say, wow, he raised a guy from the dead. They said, they're all going after him. Let's kill him, and the Bible says, let's kill Lazarus as well. I mean, the blindness of humanity, the, the absolute refusal to take seriously the evidence and proof that Jesus is authentic. And so this great miracle becomes like the, the, the last straw as far as the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish people are concerned. That's it. We've got to, we've got to get rid of him. And so having performed this outstanding miracle, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He'll never die. So Jesus, this, this is God having come down and taken upon himself human flesh. This is God speaking now and saying, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, Jesus has come to break the power of death itself, to destroy death's power, to bring through his ultimate purpose. And the Jewish people know, knew that this was the, the promise for Israel. Back in the Old Testament, there was, there was a promise that a day would come, especially in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, sees this valley of dead bones, which is meant to be Israel. They're dead. And then he's told to prophesy, and he speaks, and he prophesies, and the wind comes, and the bones come alive again. And he's saying there's going to come a day when death will be conquered. There'll come a day when, when the kingdom breaks out and death will be absolutely defeated. That was the hope of Israel. And it's fascinating that when the apostle Paul was in prison, he says, I am here preaching the resurrection, the hope of Israel. The thing that God's promised for centuries, that death would be defeated, that, that we would come through death, that God would usher in his, his eternal day. He will, he, will, he will give us victory over death itself. Not just over, uh, over sickness, not just over blindness, but over death itself. He will, he will usher in eternity. That was the hope of Israel. And Jesus, and Jesus came down and, and said, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I'm the one who's bringing this in. 
And his, his own resurrection is only a few days off. He will, be, he will be crucified within a few days of this. And then he will step through in resurrection life. And it says of the apostles that they preached the resurrection. That was their, their message. If you look at the stories in the Gospels, if you look at the preaching in the book of Acts, when they preach what we would call the gospel, it's the gospel of the resurrection. He's alive again. That was their message. Wherever they went, he's alive. And his being alive means that death is broken, that death is defeated. That's the story of the gospel. So many people think, well, well, well what is Christianity? It's, it's about trying to do good, isn't it? It's about going to church. Don't you uh, try not to get in trouble? No, it, it, it's a great message that death has been defeated. That is the, the gospel message. Death is defeated. Eternal life has been ushered in. And here for Mary, she's actually lived through it. She's experienced it. And so that's the background here. So we're in this home. We're at this dinner party. What's just happened? Her brother, her dear brother was dead. And he's alive again. Right? He's back. He's eating with them. He's reclining at table with them. And the second thing I want to bring to you then is the worship that she brought. First of all, what was it that provoked it? Secondly, what was the worship that she brought? You know, sometimes you'll notice outside a church building that it, uh, it has a sign or notice board like we, we have out, out here out front where, where worship is essentially saying worship is conducted here at 1045 a.m. But this is different. This is an entirely different thing altogether. And I want us to see some factors that characterize this worship. And the first is this. It, it wasn't at all religious. This, this worship was not religious. And what I mean by that is it, it's, it's not at all predictable. A.B. Bruce, the commentator, says, religion abhors eccentricity. In other words, religious people don't like strange things happening. Religion is predictable, it's shaped, it's fairly formal. There's something fairly predictable about religion. Here, this is totally shocking. What she did would have shocked people. Because what she does is she breaks a jar of incredibly expensive perfume and pours it out on Jesus. I mean, it's just totally shocking. What on earth is this woman doing? It's not only shocking, it was lavish. It was a pound of perfume. I mean, I don't know if you've ever shopped for perfume, but you see that box, but then you look inside the box at that little glass bottle, and you think, what? And you want how much for that? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And this is a pound, a pound of very expensive perfume. And she's not just getting a, a, little, a little dab, you know, a little bit, a little dab behind the ears. It's like, you know, smash and it's all over the place. And the fragrance fills the whole place. You can't get anywhere near without being hit by just a wave of fragrance. It's totally over the top. This is worship that is over the top. It's shocking and it's lavish. Also, 
it was very costly. It says it was worth a, almost a year's wages. It was, it was worth over 300 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. So it's just about worth a year's wages. So here's someone from a fairly simple village, and perhaps this is something that had been a treasured possession, but, but this very, very precious thing, a pound of extraordinarily powerful perfume, completely smashed. It was shocking. It was lavish. It was costly, incredibly costly. And also, it was kind of humbling because, well, she untussled her hair to wipe his feet. Now, hair and feet don't go together, do they? This is, this is a really strange thing. She's wiping his feet with her hair. In fact, she's doing something pretty shocking even in the unraveling of her hair. And that culture, women would have had their hair covered. Uh, that would still be true in some Eastern places today. You cover your hair. Hair is hidden away. That would be true in Islamic circles today. You, you hide away the hair. And so for her to suddenly release her hair is a shocking thing to do. One commentary says that most men in that culture would not actually see their wives' hair unfurled until their wedding day. Because, well, it's hidden away. You don't see that. And so here's this lady... And she's got her hair uncovered. And this is an extraordinary thing that Jesus is being cared for through this extraordinary activity. So it was very risky. It's worship that's, that's risky. It's, 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 it's risking being misunderstood. What is she doing? What's going on? This could be, this could be interpreted very badly. This is worship? Yeah, it's worship that Jesus wants the whole world to know about. I mean, it's a bit, strange, a bit of a strange thing to do. She risks misunderstanding. She risks loss of reputation. And some of us would be happier to give away a year's salary than give away our reputation. I mean, this is risking everything that she did such a thing. And the disciples saw her as totally irresponsible. I mean, they say, hey, come on, this could have been given to the poor. Jesus says it here in, in John's account, but if you look at the other gospel accounts, you find that they are all saying it. Listen, come on, I mean, just think how many poor people we could help. Now here in this passage, it says Judas, um, it, it said by Judas because he, it says because he was a crook, because Jesus looked after the common person, he just wanted to steal it, but it does say that the other apostles, the other disciples, thought the same. This is a waste. What's going on here? She's risking complete misunderstanding, but this is an expression of her personal love, devotion, and gratitude to Jesus. And notice Jesus' answer when, when they say, well, th this, this could have been used. I mean, look, let, let, let's get the calculators out. I mean, how many poor people could we help? Look, look at the things that we could do. We've got, we've got it all worked out, what we could have done. With a, I mean, with a year's salary, think of the things that we could have done. But Jesus says this, the poor you'll always have with you, not always me. One commentator says that, this, that Jesus puts himself forward in scandalous prominence scandalous prominence when the disciples are saying hey look look the poor he puts himself forward in scandalous prominence you've you've always got the poor but you don't always have me paul says paul says this we don't preach ourselves jesus didn't say that jesus said i am the way i am the truth 
come to me. Jesus constantly put himself forward. I'm the answer to life. I can beat death itself. I am the way. I'm your shepherd. I'm your rock. I'm living water. I am the answer to everything you ever need in life. I'm not just the little bit of religion that you can do at 11 o'clock in the morning. I can satisfy every need of yours. You don't always have me with you in this very physical, particular way. And he wasn't ashamed or frightened to say that. And so his answer defied all expectation and reasonableness. You know, very often you'll find people who don't really understand what the church is, making comments on the radio or TV or online, and they're, they're telling you what the church, you know, what the church should be doing. The church should be, you know, doing something. You know, the church should say this. The church should should think that the church should as though as though political voices can tell the church as if they know what the church is they don't even know what the church is they don't understand the mystery of personal devotion to Jesus they just think that the church is some philanthropic thing something that's just there for the poor for the needy and that's all it is it's just do-gooders now, we know that the gospel's got massive social implications. Of course, the kingdom has always had that knock-on effect. Every, even back in the Old Testament, they were told to take care of the poor. One of the things that the prophet said was this, you keep joining field to field. You're grinding the face, to, uh, face of the poor in the dust. We're supposed to have a social conscience. That's Christianity. But if you think that's all Christianity is, you have missed the point. Jesus said... I want this spoken about wherever the gospel's preached. Why? Because at the center, there's something profound about personal devotion to Jesus. That without that hub, without that spring, without that motivation, well, everything else is just do-gooding. It's just social action. We might as well just do it as communists. What's motivating us? What's making us do dramatic things? This lady understands something. There's something mysterious about what Jesus says when he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. She understands something, and yet the disciples plainly don't understand about Jesus' death. There was something impulsive and heart-motivated that helped her to see things that no one else had seen yet. He loves Jesus with a pure heart fervently. She's absolutely devoted to him. Jesus has won her heart. And you know, down through the centuries, the advance of the church, especially in terms of global missions, has been worked out by such people. I don't know if you've ever read the story of Amy Carmichael. She just said, I want to go. I want to serve Jesus. I mean, she just took people in, often rescuing young girls from forced prostitution. Just extraordinary things out there in India when it was very, very difficult. She just bought a one-way ticket and went. You read the story of Gladys Allward. She, she applies to the missionary society. They turn her down. They said, oh no, you're too weak, you're too small, you're too feeble. She goes, anyway... I mean, you look at the real advance of the gospel, there's this sort of fervent devotion at the center of it because I don't know how to say, how best to say it, but, but you've just been blown away by the, by the love of Jesus. 
There's something that when God touches your heart, you kind of get outside of convention. This lady got right outside of convention and she really broke out from the conventional way of doing, of going and doing things. And so let's ask this question then as we begin to wind down here. Why did Jesus want everybody to know about this? Why? As I I say, he could have said, I fed 5,000. Make sure you tell everybody about that. Or he could have said, listen, I walked on water. Don't miss this one. Let it be known. He doesn't. It is, this is the only place that he says it. There's something about this that really thrills Jesus. Wherever the gospel's proclaimed, I want this spoken of. Why? Well, because personal devotion to Jesus, utter delight in him, comes out almost odd and eccentric. And people often don't understand. I mean, you read about the story of of Jim Elliott. You read his diaries. He went with his friends down to South America to reach an ancient, unreached tribe with the gospel of Jesus. And they were speared to death before they really even started. And people go, these are brilliant young men. They've got degrees. They've got a future. This is a waste of life. And that's the whole feel of going over for, for Jesus. This word waste. And that's what they said about this. This is a waste. This could be used better. Jesus said, I want this talked about anywhere the gospels proclaim. This feel of waste. This feel of, well, this just doesn't make sense. But friends, listen, he's beaten death. Lazarus is alive again. We're going to live forever. If that doesn't blow away all all. all normal ways of thinking, then, then what is it that we're even talking about? Are we saying simply that we found a religion that's quite, quite nice and comfortable? Are we saying we found in Jesus quite a, an attractive fellow? Or are we saying, I'm going to live forever. Not only am I going to live forever, but God is going to create a new earth, a new heaven, which will be pure and beautiful and magnificent. He stored up for things. He stored up things that we can't even imagine. It can't even enter your brain what God has stored up for us. The, 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 the future is phenomenal, breathtaking, wonderful, and we're involved. I mean, don't you think that kind of should erode some of the normal place we stand? Shouldn't it change our values fundamentally? And this woman you see, for her, it's not kind of a philosophy. It's her brother is alive again. He's here. He's looking in my eyes. I can hear him laugh. I can feel his hand in my hand. He's alive again. Everything's changed. Everything's changed. And when we meet Jesus and really understand the gospel, everything has changed. All our values are threatened and put down. And we have a whole new worldview, a whole new approach. And down through the ages, that's what's led to gospel advance. You read about the Moravians and and one guy, he sells himself into slavery. He sells himself into slavery and as the boat is taking him off into slavery with the other slaves, he shouts out that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward for his suffering. I mean, he sells himself into slavery. You think you're crazy. What a waste. No, no, no. I see things clearly. 
there's something about becoming a Christian. All the myths go and you see things clearly. This matters. That doesn't matter. This looks outrageous. But it's totally in keeping with the amazing thing that's happened. Has the gospel gripped our hearts? The wonder of it. The extraordinary nature of it. But Jesus wants everyone to know about it. So I'm on safe ground this morning. What I'm preaching here today, I'm on safe ground. Jesus wants you to know about it. He says so. Everywhere I want people to know about this. So he wants you to know about it. Jesus, the Lord of glory, wants you to know about this story. Why do you suppose? Why? Well, let me ask you, has God affected your, so affected your value system so that you'd be very happy about giving away in a moment something worth a year's salary? What, you have to do that? See, when we say, do you have to do that? That's kind of where we miss the whole point, isn't it? Or if you say, okay, well, it's not impossible, but I'd like to see the accounts this year to see what you did with the giving last year. If I can see how it was used, if I can see, uh, okay, yeah, that was noble. Yeah, that was, uh, that was good. Okay, yep, that, that, that's very good. Okay, maybe next year I'll do that. No, 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 that's not what it's about. It, it, it's not about can you see the wise way in which it was used. No, it's a complete waste but it's just for Jesus. It's just for Jesus. There's no other thought. It's just, I love him. I just want to give myself utterly, unreservedly. See, Jesus is delighted in risky, lavish expressions of worship, which no one else understands. This woman did something that's so extravagant and crazy, it kind of raises questions. But Jesus, he can just receive it. He says, well done. You got it right. You got it right. Everyone needs to know about this. Do we know Jesus like this? Or do we just kind of follow the crowd? Do, do we just, you know, what, what are other people doing here? Yeah, maybe God will call you to throw away, I don't know, your career. And maybe you'll find people saying, what, what are you doing? What, what, what you're going to be a missionary? What are you doing? This is crazy. Things that other people don't understand. See, it's possible to say, look, Daryl, I could do it, but as things presently stand you know, the mortgage and the kids. Oh, okay, it's, it's okay, I understand. We might say, hey, there's a prayer meeting this week at such and such a time. Well, well, I would, I would uh, you know, but at the moment it's, it's, it's difficult because, you know, there's this and there's that and, and I'm busy with. It's okay, I understand. You, you, you say, well, well, I'm not tithing regularly at the moment because, you know, it's just, it's just hard to, to make ends, ends meet, but, you know, it's okay, I understand. You, I understand. It's this woman that I don't understand. This woman, I can't understand her. I can understand you. I can't understand her. But the Lord wants your heart. And listen, he's done enough to win our hearts. He's defeated death. We're never going to die. We're going to live forever with Jesus. He's going to usher in new heavens, new earth. And, it, and, and that should just wreck our value system. 
Jesus does a job on us where, where all of our values change. And so Jesus wants you to know about her. He wants you to know about it. He wants you to feel the impact of it. And he wants you to live in the light of it. He wants you to, he, he wants us to impact this city, this area, with a church that has seen something that the vast crowds have not seen. And so we don't want to be shaped by their values. We, we, we don't want to get, you know, well, you know, shaped by whatever's on television tonight or, oh yeah, we're just, you know, we're just into that. No, 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 there's something breathtaking that has undermined our values completely. And maybe even it causes us to do things that might appear to be crazy in the eyes of many. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're staggered at what we know of you, you of your life, your death, your resurrection, and, and what we know of the glorious gospel. And, and we confess, Lord, we can kind of water it down. We can normalize it. We can even... Uh, turn the glorious gospel into something religious and really miss this breathtaking center, this, this life-transforming truth that, 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 that you have changed our eternal destiny, that death is defeated. Lord, I pray that you will make us a people who, who manifestly live out of step with the culture, even out of step maybe with some disciples because, Jesus, you, you've won our hearts. Only you can breathe life in. You can breathe new life into us. Only you can fill our hearts with singing. Only you can answer our hearts' cry. And so, Lord, transform us by the inner working of your Spirit, we ask. Lord, I, I just see these disciples working out how much this is worth. What on earth is she up to? And I see your eyes, Lord Jesus, meeting her eyes. I, I see her saying, This is for you, Jesus. And I see you saying, yes, Mary, I understand. I receive it. And I pray for each of us, Lord, that we might live for you. I would have step except with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.